Hey, what's up, guys? My name's Lonnie, and this is my podcast about male infertility and the journey that I went through through the IVF process with my wife. I would really like this podcast to serve as a forum for all men to come together and talk about the problems that they incur through male infertility and the process that they go through for IVF. I know that there is a whole lot of literature out there about females and support groups uh, for the IVF process that they go through, but there is not quite as much support for the male side of IVF that I wish that I knew uh, going forward. So this is going to be broken down into a couple different episodes. Uh, This first one, I'm going to really talk about uh, how I found out about my male infertility and the next is so on and so forth. So a little bit about myself. Uh, Like I said, my name is Lonnie and I've been currently serving in the military for the past nine years and I was diagnosed diagnosed with male infertility uh, about four years ago and uh, this is my story. So um, a little bit of background. Me and my wife have been married since 2011 and have been trying to have kids uh, since about 2012. So our first stint with male infertility. So I know the biggest problem with male infertility that I find is uh, being vulnerable with uh, talking about male infertility with other people. I've been in countless rooms with countless doctors Uh, talking about uh, problems with male infertility and me just being like, hey, uh, it's great that I'm here and it's great that we're talking about it, but there's nothing wrong with me. Uh, Me not wanting to admit that uh, this is a problem that I have and what we can do to move forward and talk about it. Uh, So the first time that I found out that the problem with why we weren't getting pregnant was because of something that was happening with me uh, was about, I think it was uh, 2013 when I had my first semen analysis. Uh, Guys, I know that there's probably countless different stories about semen analysis and how fucking embarrassing they are. Uh, But this is my story, and I'm sorry for whoever is listening, but I'm not going to be candid. I'm going to tell you exactly what happened, and if I uh, use bad words, I'm sorry, but it's just how I was feeling at the time. So, my first semen analysis. Uh, I don't even know where to start. So, I walk in, and this is in Groton, Connecticut. Uh, So, I walk in, and... I go into this infertility wing of this hospital that I had ordered the semen analysis through and I walk in and I see this lady who is quite, quite obviously 80 years old. And at the time I was probably about 23 or 24 and I'm thinking, well, this is the most embarrassing thing that I've ever done. So I walk up, I say, Hey, I'm here to provide for semen analysis and she's like, oh, okay, darling, I'm going to hand you this little cup and you're going to go into this room and provide, then bring me out the sample. And I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ. Uh, well, I'm glad that there's nobody else sitting in this waiting room listening to you talk about how I'm about to masturbate into this little cup. 
So, so I, I get the cup, I go into the room and, uh, so I, I walk in and it's a basically a normal doctor's office, uh, probably about 15 by 15 with a, a doctor's, uh, examination table and a little table that looks like you would have given blood at blood at. And I'm like, okay, uh, I'm happy. I brought my phone here that had, uh, uh, how do I say this? Pornographic material that I could provide with, because when I walk in, I see that there is a TV that looks like it's from 1980, huge box set with a VCR next to it, uh, with two v- VSH VS at VS v- VSH VSH whatever, um, two tapes sitting on top of it, and I'm like, well. Um, I'm going to go investigate. <laughs> I, I go over uh, to the um, to the TV. I look at the VCR. There's nothing actually in the VCR. So I look at the two tapes on top of it. VS, v, VSH? Fuck. Well, I'm sure one of you guys will tell me in the description below, but whatever. Um, so I look at the tapes. And I look at the first one. And remember, it's about 2013 or 2014 at the time. I look at the cover. And <laughs> guys, back me up on this. Uh, I look at the cover and see basically a cheerleader that looks like she's about 20 with the biggest bush I've ever seen on it. I guess that was a thing back in 1980 or before. And I'm like, well, this is, again, one of the most embarrassing things I've ever done. So I'm happy that I brought my phone along with me because it had videos on it. And I was like, all right, well, this is if I'm going to provide, this is how I'm going to do it. So I start doing what I need to do and I finish, which was the most awkward thing I've ever do. Because I don't know about you, but when you're in the mood and all that stuff, you're doing it for a reason. Normally, it's to get your wife pregnant if you're dealing with male infertility or anything like that. And so, so I finish, I screw the cap on, and I walk out into the uh, into the little waiting room. And when I walked into the waiting room to initially get my cup, the semen analysis, there was no one in there. When I walk out, there's probably 10 people, all females, all with probably in their, or all within probably their mid 40s or 50s. And there was no cover to the cup. What I was carrying was quite obviously a semen sample that I just got done masturbating into <laughs> to hand to this lady that was easily as old as my grandmother. So. <laughs> So I'm walking with my head down, and it was so embarrassing. Uh, I was walking with my head down, and I hand this lady uh, the cup, and she very loudly is like, "Oh, okay, thank you for your semen sample. We'll get the uh, we'll get the results back to you in a couple days." I'm like, "Could you be any fucking louder?" I was trying to be kind of covert in what I was doing, but thank you for telling everybody else in this waiting room exactly what I was doing. So, so that happens. Uh, I walk to my car, pr- 
probably being the most embarrassed that I've ever been in my entire life. And I walked to my car. I'm like, okay, well, thankfully that's over. And I go back to work. So about a week later, I, I we get the results back. And the results are not good. Uh, they, I think my first semen analysis came back and it was like 4.5 million parts per whatever. And guys and girls, if you're listening to this and have checked out semen results before, I think the normal for men for just count alone is somewhere between 25 and 50 million parts uh, per measurement. So looking at this, though, I was like, oh, I've got four million parts per whatever. That's amazing. That's so many because, I mean, when you think about it, yes, only one uh, one specimen makes it to the egg and does does its thing. I'm like, whoa, I've got four million of those. Awesome. Yeah, I was very uh, ignorant in the whole male infertility thing. I had no idea that my results were fucking awful. So uh, I call my wife and I'm like, hey, good news. I've got 4.5 million parts per whatever. My morphology, whatever that is, is like a B plus. And uh, I forget the other... um, the other statistics that come on a semen analysis, but I read them off and I was actually kind of happy when I was reading them off because I had no fucking clue that I was just awful with my results. And so I read them all off in an excited manner and my wife goes, uh, you know, those are like absolutely horrible, right? And I'm like, what are you talking about? I just read that I had 4.5 million parts per per whatever. And then she reads me what it should have been. And I'm like, well, fuck. Um, <laughs> I think I'm going to have to probably redo this or something. Maybe I can, I, I can do whatever. And, uh, and, and so that's what really started uh, the, the male infertility uh, journey. I had no idea what I was walking into when this happened. I wish so- I had known already before sounding ignorant as fuck to my wife that 4.5 million was very much on the low end. But anyway, so we get the or uh, we get the initial results back and um, you know, I die or I digest it however I need to, knowing full well that it was my fault that we weren't getting pregnant. But I passed it off thinking, okay, well, that was just one time. Maybe it was uh, maybe it was a fluke or maybe I did something earlier that would affect those numbers or anything like that. So I, I we go to the doctor. And uh, he's like, well, these numbers aren't great. I'm like, doctor, tell me something I fucking don't know. Or tell me maybe how I can fix this shit. Uh, I mean, I didn't say that out loud, but that's definitely what I was thinking about uh, in my head. Uh, so we go through and he's just like, well, these numbers aren't very good. Uh, maybe it's got something to do with your health or something like that. And I'm like, he's like, well, what do you do for a living? I was like, well, I'm a cook on a submarine. And he was just like, well, are you, uh, are you under massive amounts of stress? And I'm like, doctor, I just told you <laughs> I was on a submarine and I was a cook. Uh, for those of you who don't know. Not the easiest job in the world. Definitely not the most stressful of military jobs, but definitely 
up there as far as stress. He was like, well, are you, uh, are you under heat for a lot of the times they do your job? I'm like, well, I was thinking about what I do for my job and I was like, my testicles are about four inches away from a 350 degree oven while I roll hot rolls on a daily basis. I was like, yeah, that's, uh, I'm not in the greatest, um, I'm not in the greatest environment to uh, make my semen results get any better. Well, he was like, well, there's certain things you can do with your stress levels. And, you know, you can try to bring down your stress and all this stuff. And I was like, you're not making this very much better. I know you're trying to help me, but that's not actually getting to the problem. Well, anyway, at this time, I was uh, under a lot of stress from work and I was drinking heavily uh me being a 22 or 23 year old sailor i thought hey um this is the um culture that i'm in i'm a sailor i'm a submariner we drink that is just the culture that we're in and it's okay little did i know i was killing my semen by the millions every day i went to work well all right that's besides the point so so uh, a couple months later, um, down the male infertility, uh, down the male in- infertility road per se, uh, we we go for another, um, or I go for another semen analysis. Uh, so this semen analysis says that is at a different hospital. I had changed locations for where I was stationed, and I'm like, okay, we'll give this another go. Um, I hope it's better uh, because I really didn't want. Uh, this to be on me as much as I didn't want anything to be wrong with my wife I definitely didn't want it to be wrong with me uh, because I, I at the time I was 22 23 years old full of testosterone or so I thought and uh, I, I went to uh, I went to this next same analysis so this next same analysis place happened to be in a hospital pretty much like the same time out or pretty much like the same place I went uh, to begin with and I walk in and uh, thankfully it is not an 80 year old woman uh, handing me a cup saying hey go into uh, this room and do the same thing it was probably someone around 30 years old and it was very discreet she spoke softly to me not letting the entire uh, waiting room know that what I was doing there for. So she hands me the cup. I go into the bathroom. I do my thing. And um, I bring it back in the in the brown paper bag. It almost looked like a paper bag that you would uh, get at the liquor store. I put it in the paper bag. I set it down and I leave. So about two weeks later, I get the results back. And uh, it's a little better. It's, um, I think it was about 9 million parts per whatever. And, um, already knowing that that wasn't good numbers, I wasn't thrilled, uh, to tell my wife that this was the problem. Um, so of course she got it. Uh, even though I was like, shit, she's going to read these numbers. Uh, she's going to come down on me for, you know, not being you know, proper for us to have kids and all this stuff. So, uh, so that happened. It wasn't great for our marriage. I was definitely, uh, to the point where I was definitely realizing that it was definitely my fault on why we weren't have kids. And, uh, I was, I was almost to that point 
and uh, guys, you could probably back me up on this, that you get to the point where you're like, fuck, uh, this is my fault. How do I deal with it? Um, but, but I mean, before you even get to that point, I started thinking that, okay, this is not, um, this is not normal. Uh, you know, real men have the ability to carry on their family's name and, and all that. And it was really like, it, it was really getting to me emotionally. Of course I didn't put that out there, um, in my emotions as far as what I showed to everybody, but it was really, you know, like it was really getting to me. And at the time I was drinking a lot. And of course it wasn't doing any better for my drinking situation. I was drinking a whole lot, uh, which in turn way down the road, I found out definitely kills your semen count. So if you're drinking and trying to do this, please, don't do that. Seek help in different ways. I know I did, but that's besides the point. And on top of that, uh, I mean, I was getting these numbers back and I was going back to work and I was in the military. So I would, you know, tell uh, my chief or friends that I was having problems with semen analysis and semen count and all that. And uh, <laughs> let's just say they didn't make it easy for me emotionally um that this was happening um so after that uh i was like all right well like this is obviously a problem it's time for me to actually seek help um and of course my wife was like oh, i've been saying that for the last two fucking years but <laughs> so i was like all right no i think emotionally uh and mentally i'm ready to you know go seek help for this problem so we went to a doctor at the time we were in, um, we were in Connecticut and we went down to one of the Yale. Yeah, it was the, it was a Yale. Um, it was a Yale hospital and, uh, we had, uh, we had a consultation and they looked at my last semen results and they were like, Hey, you know, IUI might be an option for you. And I was like, when I heard that, I parked up because anything having to do with um, inception, I was like, yes, let's do this. I'm ready to have kids. You know, let's get this done. And so they're like, okay, um, IUI might not be a bad choice. I think you qualify and all this stuff. So uh, we're going to need another semen sample for you. And I was like, God damn it. This is the most embarrassing. Whatever. You know, fuck it. Let's do it. All right. So at the time in the military, like I said, I'm a cook. Um, I had qualified to go to the All-Navy Culinary Team, uh, which was an awesome thing. It was like, hey, I'm a Samaner. Uh, people don't think we're real cooks anyway. So <laughs> I'm going to get it done. I'm going to go win gold. I'm going to show everyone what I can do. Yeah, I had a big ego. Definitely, whatever. Uh, so we go, or I go to do the semen analysis. At this point, it was a little better uh, as far as the environment that they put you in <laughs> to do a semen analysis. Uh, like I said, guys, you probably have horror stories and then putting you in a public bathroom to you pro or so you can provide for a semen analysis. Um it was pretty much the same thing. I walked in, gave my semen analysis, got out of there as soon as I possibly fucking could because it was the most embarrassing thing ever. And 
I left my semen analysis and I left. So at the time I was down in, um, I was down in Virginia. Uh, we were practicing for the all Navy culinary team and I was doing my thing. And while I was down there, my wife got the results, uh, back for the infertility or sorry for the semen analysis. And I was, I was psyched at the time because I was, you know, all hyped up because I was doing the all Navy culinary team and I was having a good time in my career and all this stuff. And, uh, she's like, Hey, one day uh, I forget, I think it was out to lunch with somebody and she gives me a call and she's like, Hey, I got your semen analysis back. Um, would, do you want to hear the results? And I was like, uh, fuck. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm in a good mood now. I hope this doesn't ruin it. Sure. Uh, and so she reads me the results and, um, I think it came back. It was it was the highest it had ever been. It was like twelve point whatever, or twelve point five million parts per whatever. And I was like, sweet, uh, this is the best news I've heard in a long time as far as my male infertility goes, and all that. And uh, she was like, yeah, this this is awesome. Uh, when you get back, we can kind of move forward in the process. So I finished my uh, I finished my little stint with the Navy culinary team, and um, I got back to Connecticut at the time. And uh, they were like, "Yeah, this is uh, this isn't bad. This you know is obviously the highest it's ever been. Um, we want to do a little bit uh, deeper research into why you may have uh, male infertility." And I was like, uh, "Okay, like." what does this really entail? And so the doctor was, you know, my wife was in there and he tried to use uh, most technical words as possible and was like, all right, so we're going to give, you know, a an ultrasound of your testicles and we're going to find out if any, and like he kept talking, but my whole, uh, the whole situation, I was just like, what do you mean they're going to give me an ultrasound on my testicle? <laughs> so, like, he kept talking. And, uh, you know, obviously my wife, you know, looking at me the whole time, she obviously knew there was something wrong. And uh, we got out of there, and, and she's like, hey, this is this is great. You know, we're actually going to find out why, uh, whatever's going on. And I'm like, how does this work? <laughs> Really, and she was like, hey, "Don't worry, ultrasound. You know, they they put the gel on the wand, and you know they they do what they need to do." And I was like, "All right, well, shit." <laughs> I was like, "All right, well, I guess if we're gonna do this, we're gonna do this." Uh, so a couple of weeks later, I think it took I think it took a while for us to actually schedule the ultrasound appointment, but um, by this time we were working with a specialist uh, for Yale. Uh, which was good in my mind. I think Yale, I think super smart people, because uh, I obviously am not, um, that they knew what they were doing. Uh, so we went to the hospital down in Yale from Connecticut one day. And uh, this lady, uh, or we walk in and it's super um, professional. Uh, we walk in, or I walk into the room, and there's the ultrasound machine, and there's the table that women normally get on <laughs> to spread their legs and have their uh, stomach looked at for an ultrasound. And I'm like, well, how is this going to work for me? But 
Anyway, I get on the table. She's like, hey, you know, I'm going to be doing this and this. And I was really trying uh, I was trying to listen, but at the same time, I was thinking about myself, thinking, how am I supposed to deal with what you're about to do uh, to my testicles? Either way, um, she starts, and I'm naked, and I'm lying there, and uh, she's doing her thing, and you want to talk about the most embarrassing thing that I've ever done, ever, uh, you have a 30 to 35 year old woman uh, with the ultrasound machine with <laughs> the wand that's got the goop on it uh, rolling around on your testicles. Um, yeah, uh, I don't think I have to talk anymore about that. But guys, you all probably, if you're listening to this, already know what I'm talking about. So she does her thing and uh, she stops. And is like I can kind of see her face. I, like I said, I've got my legs up and the whole thing. And she looks a little bit concerned. And I don't know really what to make of it. I don't know if that's just her resting bitch face or, or whatever. But I'm looking at her and I see a little bit of concern on her face. And I'm like, what's going on? And she's like, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take some pictures. I'm gonna finish up, and then the doctor is gonna come in and talk to you. And I was just like, all right, you know, whatever. So she finished up, and uh, the doctor came in and was just like, hey, um, I saw something that I really didn't, you know, I really didn't understand. I'm gonna send send you to a specialist uh, that's just down the road. He's actually. You can go there now. Uh, he's ready for you to to come in. And so I'm like, uh, can you just tell me what the fuck's going on? And he's like, no, I need you to go see the specialist. He probably can tell you a little bit more about what's going on than I can. And I was like, all right. So my wife was there. We got in the car. Uh, we went just down the street uh, to a little doctor's office and... Uh, we waited in the waiting room for probably about 15 minutes, and we, I got in the, uh, uh, we, we, I got called back into the room, and I know I talked about <laughs> the most awkward thing I ever done before, um, guys and girls, if you're listening to this, there's nothing more awkward than getting up in the ultrasound chair with your legs spread and your... Uh, junk hanging out uh, than a probably 70-year-old man with an ultrasound machine doing his thing to your testicles. Uh, I had never been more embarrassed. My wife's out in the waiting room. She's she's Thankfully, she wasn't in the room with me at the time because I, I don't even know. Well, either way, so most embarrassing thing ever. Get it done. And uh, he's... You know, got the machine down there. He's doing his thing. And uh, he had the same kind of look in his eyes. He, he was just like, yeah, look concerned. I don't know if he was just because he was old and that's the way his face looked, like I said before. But he was doing his thing. And the exam got the exam finished. He had me put my clothes back on. And um, I was sitting on the table and very nonchalantly, like, like how you would ask someone how their day was 
said, hey, it looks like you have a little Sonoma, Sonoma cancer in your right testicle. And I, I, I didn't know what to do. I like full on shut down. And my first reaction was to be incredibly mad that this is the way that he told me. I always felt in movies that when you told or when you were told that you had a disease of some sort, you had your family around you, the doctor walked in and said, you know, Mr. Loretti, I am so sorry to tell you this, but blah, 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 blah. That's not how it was. He said it just like, like I said, he said it was like he was telling me the fucking weather for the day. He just said, you know, I'm. Uh, it looks like you have a little Sonoma cancer in your right testicle. Um, and, and like, that was pretty much it. Like, he, he was like, okay, so blah, 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 blah. And, and like, I got got up, walked to the waiting room, said, hey, we're leaving. My wife had no idea what I was just told. Uh, we got in the car, and she was like, well, what happened? And I was like, that guy just told me that I had what looked like Sonoma cancer in my right testicle. And she just looked at me like, <laughs> she looked at me like I had a dick growing out of my forehead. She was like, what? And I'm like, yeah, that's what this man just told me. And we both had no idea how to react. Um, I didn't know how to react. I didn't know how she would react. I didn't know anything. And so it was kind of quiet for a while. And I know she could tell that I was dealing with a lot internally. And uh, she said, hey, are you, you know, are you all right? And I was just like, I don't know. Um, I don't know what this entails. I don't know if it's a big thing. I don't know, you know, if, if this is curable. I don't know if I'm about to go through chemotherapy. I don't know anything. Um, and she was like, all right, well, uh, try to stay calm. Um, we're gonna, you know, I'll call the doctor and, and we'll see what's going on. Uh, so, um, we go home. Um, I get a call or I call, I honestly can't remember. It's a bunch of jumbled up memories. Uh, the doctor about what the specialist said, uh, excuse me, about what the specialist had said. And, uh, like I said, it was, it was very nonchalant about how they were talking about it. And I never thought that being told, uh, that you had, or that you possibly had cancer, that it would be like not a big deal. Um, they kind of treated it like, hey, you have an ingrown toenail. We'll just remove it and you'll be fine. <laughs> that's what, uh, that's kind of how I felt I was being treated. Um, so I go back to work and I go after finding out uh, as much information as I could very quickly. Um, I go back to work and I walk in to the office that. Uh, my master chief and the officer that was in charge um, sat and I walk in and I'm like hey do you guys have a second and they were like yeah sure and I closed the door and I'm like because they already knew how what I had kind of been going through because uh, I tell them about all the appointments and everything and I'm like they just told me that I had cancer 
and um, God bless them. They they did not know how to react. Uh, the master chief at the time like looked at me and kind of gauged how I was feeling about it, and that's how he gauged his reaction off. And he was like, "All right, well, what's next?" And uh, I was I didn't know how to answer him. I just said, "Well, I honestly don't know." Uh, the supply officer, uh, the officer in charge at the time, pretty much just so he says, like, what do you need to do? What can we do to help, you know, help this process along? And I was like, I honestly don't know. Um, I just, I think I need to go home. <laughs> so, um, the, you know, they, they were very, uh, uh accepting to, um, what was happening <laughs> and uh, I don't know what they said after I left the room, but uh, it was sure like uh, I'm probably they were like, fuck, uh, <laughs> we're going to help this kid do what he needs to do. So um, a couple days went past, I think, is when I got the next call um, stating kind of everything that I needed to do. I think it was between that ultrasound where I found out about um the possible cancer in my right testicle. Uh, they also said, the doctor that called me was like, it looks like you have some varicocele veins uh, on your right testicle that could probably be causing um, the male infertility as well. And I was like, well, like that was secondary to me. I wasn't even really tracking on uh, on that at all. I, I tried to research as much as I could on what they had told me in the procedures going forth. Uh, so I think it was probably like two weeks or three weeks in between when I got that ultrasound and when I was under the knife <laughs> really for them to, uh, for them to fix this. And, uh, at work being in the military, I had gone to, um, the, military doctor and I explained everything that the doctor has said I, I'm sure they talked amongst each other about what the proper procedure was going forward and uh, they were on board with whatever I needed to do so I scheduled leave uh, to get my procedures done and all that and at the time I had also torn the labrum in my left shoulder uh so I was having these procedures done like weeks between each other. I think I had the uh, the testicle surgery and my shoulder surgery within three weeks of each other. Maybe not even that. So, um, like I said, there was a very short time in between what I had to do uh, for my shoulder and work and testicle and all that. Uh, so in between... Um, when I found out that I had to get my surgery in a certain date, I was still going to work. Uh, but at the time, being in the military and being a cook, I was like, I don't give a fuck about work at the time. And I'm pretty sure uh, the mass chief that ran the station where I w that I was at and the supply officer, they're like, yeah, uh, we understand. So I was going to work basically for probably a couple hours, even when I was supposed to be there for like eight or nine hours a day. I was going to the office uh, where they worked, basically sitting on the couch and sulking <laughs> uh, where where we worked and uh, just talking about it. 
And everyone around me, though, was so supportive. Uh, I think I got probably at least 20 to 30 uh, ball jokes a day. Uh, (laughs) That was like, hey... Uno, people started calling me Uno and the One Nut Wonder and all that. And uh, at the time, I, I I was trying to stay as positive as, as possible, and that actually helped. Uh, I know a lot of people say, hey, don't make fun of someone's disability and all that. But at the time, I I actually felt supported because in the, in the military, there's just this brotherhood and and family oriented uh your your job really is family oriented and people really care about each other and the people that were above me i could tell that they really cared uh they were like hey we're gonna let you go do whatever you need to do just tell me what um what the process is so we can just we can know and like i said i probably got 20 to 25 ball jokes a day about how I was going to have one testicle and all that stuff. But, I mean, I didn't care at the time. I thought it was funny. It helped my morale personally and all that stuff. So, uh, days leading up to the testicle surgery, um, I was nervous. Uh, I was nervous a lot. I didn't know what really it was going to entail I didn't have a whole lot of information or when the doctor or my wife tried to tell me information I kind of blocked everything out there was like a whole two-week period where I was pretty much non-responsive as far as emotions go and so the day comes up for the testicle surgery and you know we get there my wife so supportive she's like hey i'll be here when you wake up um anything you need uh it'll be great she wasn't working at the time which uh which really benefited me because i knew i mean i'm not i'm not awesome with pain uh i can deal with it as it comes but as far as me being laid up in the bed uh yeah i knew i was going to need support so I get to, or we get to the hospital and we do the whole intake and I'm laid up in bed and my wife's sitting there and the doctor, uh, the specialist from Yale comes up and uh, he's talking to me about what's going to happen. And he's just like, Hey, um, so while you're under, we're going to take a sample of your testicle Um, and if it's bad, we're going to probably remove the whole thing. If it's not as bad, we'll just take what we need to. And I was just like, (laughs) the the military side of me kind of kicks in and, you know, my joking and humor side comes in and, uh, I'm like, if you take the whole thing, do I get a rubber one? (laughs) Like. I was trying to, like, even though in emotionally on the inside, I was definitely in pain. I was still trying to make jokes about it and all that. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, this is after my wife kind of, they asked her to leave and all this stuff. And I asked the doctor, I was like, if you take the whole thing, do I get a rubber one? <laughs> the doctor laughed and was like, you're an idiot and shot me up full of uh, morphine or whatever it was. <laughs> so, I go to sleep. Um, and I wake up and I am in pain. 
pain, like pain, pain. Uh, I didn't know that, like, when you get a procedure, anything that deals with your groin, um, just going from like sitting to prone standing, you put a lot of uh, you put a lot of stress in that area. Even when I was laying down in the hospital bed. And the lady came up, or the nurse came up, God bless her, it was just like, hey, how, you know, how are you feeling and all this stuff? Like, I'm pretty sure I yelled at her. I was just like, it hurts so fucking bad. And uh, she was like, all right, no problem. You know, we'll give you some pills and all that stuff and you'll be fine. Um, so I was like, all right. So she gave me some pills and, you know, 20 minutes uh, went by and she's just like, oh, hey, you know, how do you feel now? And... <laughs> just remember saying it still fucking hurts i just had a testicle removed what the fuck do you feel like but anyway she was like you know well a little pain's okay and i was just like no i just feel like i was kicked in the nuts and this needs to feel better and so she's like look uh we can't give you that much painkillers we need you to stay awake. <laughs> Doesn't want to give me morphine or anything. And so, uh, I've, you know, she. I think she gave me a little bit more because she felt bad because I was complaining so much. Um, my wife came in and was like, you know, hey, how do you feel? And I was still like, I hadn't even seen the actual doctor yet. Or to my recollection, I haven't even seen the doctor yet. And I was so fucking mad like i don't know if you don't understand i was so mad because it hurt so bad and i like i didn't i didn't remember like what if the doctor had came back to say hey we removed everything or hey you know you still have a little piece of your testicle left or anything and uh so yeah she was trying to calm me down as much as possible oh, excuse me and uh, so I remember the doctor coming back at that point, and he was just like, "Hey, um, it looks like we got it. Looks like we got all of it." And like at that time, I was just like, "Isn't modern medicine a little bit better than where you can tell me that you either removed my whole testicle and got everything, or you removed a little bit and I'm fine?" I didn't say that. Obviously, my wife's sitting there. Um, but so we, you know, I get the results back and I'm, I'm starting to feel a little bit better. I feel like the, uh, Percocet or morphine or whatever the fuck they had me on, uh, I started to feel a little better and, um, and we went home. So, uh, the next couple of days, I just remember being awful. Uh, I, I don't think I called the military to tell them how I was doing because I I feel like every time like even if I was like asleep laying down and I went to get up I had to call my wife just to help me get up because of the amount of pain I was in and I know they had given me pain medicine and, and all that but it was just not you know it was just not doing the trick um so a couple days later um, I call the, the base that I was working at and I kind of told them what was going on. And, uh, he's like, Hey, one nut, how you doing? And all stuff. And I was like, man, fuck you guys. I was in, you know, severe amounts of pain and all this. 
And uh, by that time, the doctor had called me and um, was just like, hey, this is what happened. You know, we removed most of your right testicle and, you know, this is what we found and all this stuff and fixed the varicocele vein. So I was like, all right, well, at least this is over. This this whole process is over. Um, little did I know that if you have a part of your testicle removed on even even if it's a little part your other one will compensate and when i say compensate i mean that i had to wear a special it, it was basically a jock strap <laughs> because the other one my left testicle had grown to about the size of a baseball and I'm not even exaggerating. <laughs> like, like a lot of people were like, "No, hey, how you know how big is it really?" I, to this day, I can't even run that far because it'll start to hurt. When I say if you ball up your fist and that's like accurate, no shit, that's how big my left testicle was. I really didn't even know that I had another testicle still because the other one was so freaking huge that it made me walk differently (laughs) like it actually made me walk differently and uh so after i healed up uh i think it took probably about two weeks uh maybe even three weeks it probably took about three weeks for me to even feel comfortable enough to put my uniform back on and go into work there was no way i was actually gonna do work at work because of how i was feeling Like, uh, when I walked in for the first time, when I drove myself to where I was working, got out of the car, um, it really looked like I had just gotten off of a horse. (laughs) Like, I don't know if any of you have ever actually, uh, gone for a horse ride, but when you get off, you feel like there's like this imaginary, like you're sitting on like an imaginary easel basically between your legs and you can't put your legs together to walk forward uh so i go in and uh the master chief at the time looked at me and he's like hey one nut how you doing (laughs) or something to that effect i'm sure there was a ball joke or two involved and uh i'm pretty sure uh it took about four minutes for the people that I was working for to tell me, hey, you look like shit, go home. <laughs> and, you know, I was like, all right, you know, I'm cool. And so I went home and, you know, I would come in for work a couple hours a day and just so they knew I was okay. And uh, at this time, I'd still hadn't gone back to get uh, real results back for the infertility or anything like that. And, uh, it was feeling horrible. So a couple weeks go by and I finally go back into work. And uh, this is where the ball jokes really started to, <laughs> to come into play. And uh, I was still walking with kind of a, uh, a limp, I guess you could say, without being too invasive. Uh, it was still, my testicle was still about the size of a baseball. And I uh, was still walking really funny and still hadn't, you know, kind of fully grown back into what I was doing. And so 
a couple weeks go by and I go back to the doctor, uh, the Yale specialist, my wife said. And uh, I just remember in between this, I'll get back to the story in a second, but, um, you know, I would have to clean, you know, the area and I really didn't even want to look at it because I was so scared of what I was going to see. So, you know, I would get in the shower and I would take my clothes off and uh, I'd be like, babe, uh, I need help. <laughs> so my wife would come in and help me, you know, wash and all this stuff, and she would look at it, and, uh, I remember the first time she actually looked at it, and I can only really, like, I only really saw her face, and I remember the first time she looked at it was, it's kind of like that when you see, like, a huge person walking down the street to where you're like, how the fuck did that happen? (laughs) <laughs> oh, I laugh to keep from crying. <laughs> so, like, she would do her best. Oh, I love her to death. Uh, she would do her best to help me, you know, take showers and all that. But uh, I get back to the story. So, the first time I go back to the doctor, uh, had it been maybe two months after the actual surgery happened, and he's so embarrassing once again the dude's like probably 65 years old uh not thinking about that this was actually his job his profession was you know taking care of testicles and semen analysis and all that we're sitting in the in the doctor's office it's probably it's a small doctor's office and he's like all right you know pull your pants down and your underwear down my wife's sitting right next to him and I know this, you know, whatever. My wife has seen my downstairs multiple times. It was still freaking embarrassing for whatever reason. I know that we were there for professional reasons and all that. It was still so embarrassing. All right, pull down your pants, pull down your underwear, and I'm going to have to look. So I pulled down my underwear, and he's got that same face, just like, holy shit. (laughs) when he pulls down my pants so like of course I'm looking at him looking at me thinking there's something wrong and I'm like oh my god what's wrong and he's just like no it's just you're still inflamed quite a lot Uh, I wasn't really expecting uh, seeing that and so I'm like god this is so fucking weird anyway so he's like, all right, well, you know, once you heal up, it normally takes, you know, I think it was between three and six months after the surgery for your semen count, uh, just numbers strictly, to, to go back up. So, you know, this all happens, um, spending a lot of time trying to heal, taking it easy, you know, going to work for a couple hours at a time. Hearing the multiple ball jokes over and over and over again. Hey, Uno. Hey, you know, One Not Wonder and all this stuff. I've literally heard all of it. <laughs> but whatever. I really wasn't, uh, I really like wasn't taking an emotional hit about it. Or I thought it was funny too. So I played along. It's all okay. Like I said, you got to laugh to keep from crying. Um, so, you know, a couple months later, uh, we do another semen analysis 
And once again, uh, I'm going to the Yale semen analysis, and it's the same thing. I go in, talk to the lady that's easily as old as my grandmother, uh, doing the semen analysis, and then, you know, getting the results back. Uh, the numbers didn't get a whole lot better, unfortunately. Uh, it was still in the low teens. I think the highest I ever got was, you know, 12.5, you know, but normally the numbers lasted somewhere between 9.5 and, and like 12. Uh, so it wasn't great. Um, and I know this, obviously we had, you know, through this whole process, once I actually felt comfortable, uh, to have sex again, uh, we were trying and obviously, you know, it wasn't working and, uh, we weren't even trying, uh, like home remedies and all this stuff. Um, even we tried, Oh, and guys, I'm so sorry if you've had to do this before, but it was called the stork. I, th- I I'm pretty sure it was called the stork, and it is, it is like it's a condom, but instead of like okay, think of a condom, but times the thickness of that condom by like thirty. <laughs> if that makes sense, um, it was it was like a rubber condom. Um, and then it, it felt like, you know what it felt like? It felt like sadness, <laughs> if that makes sense. It literally felt like, you know, we, we'd be, you know, not to get too personal, but we'd be having like intercourse and my wife would be like, Oh, how does it feel? And I was like, it feels like nothing. <laughs> it feels, it feels like sadness. <laughs> That's what I'd be saying. And, uh. And so anyway, it's like you like you ejaculate into this condom and then you're supposed to like roll it down and put it on this wand more or less. And this wand like holds the like you roll it down and you put it on the tip of this wand and this wand like encloses the top of it to where doesn't let any semen out and the woman or the woman like sticks this wand up to where like her cervix would be and you click this button and it opens the top of the condom to where her cervix would be and then it releases and you pull the wand out and it's and it's got this little string on it really like a tampon uh, and it stays there and it's meant to put the semen as close to the cervix as possible. Um, so it's got the best chances. So we tried this, I want to say we tried it like four or five times and each time we tried it was sad. <laughs> it's not sad in the outcome cause obviously it didn't result in the pregnancy, but sad in the, like exchange of of everything uh like obviously uh intercourse to produce a child should be very loving or at the very least you should have fun while you're doing it and it was just awful um you know to the people at stork uh it's a great idea it's it it's an awesome idea it does exactly what it should like the the equipment does exactly what it should but 
it is fun for nobody. <laughs> like, it's not fun for the woman. It's not fun for the man. I I know it's supposed. To, it's there to produce pregnancy, um, fun or not. But it didn't work for us. Uh, to those of you, if you're listening and the stork worked for you, awesome. Uh, but it was one of the most sad experiences that I've ever gone through. Um, so yeah, obviously that didn't work. We were doing this the whole time that I was, uh, even before the surgery, I think we tried it a couple times, but even after to, uh, just to, to get her pregnant. Um, it didn't work, uh, obviously. Um, but so, so after that, um, we are like, okay, obviously we need to do something more drastic, uh, as far as the procedure would go for, for getting her pregnant. That's when we really started looking into, um, other procedures like medical procedures like IUI or IVF. And I think that's when we really decided that that was going to have to be, uh, the outcome, like our decision, we were going to have to choose IUI or IVF. And, uh, that's kind of like where, where it stopped for a while. We, you know, IUI is not that expensive. IVF, however, like out in town, like luckily I'm in the military, but out in town, IVF can range somewhere between 15 and, you know, 20 grand per shot. And that's not even a guarantee. like that's just for a one time like hey if this works or it doesn't and i know like a a child from you know from zero to 18 they've done studies where it's like i want to say it's like almost a million freaking dollars to raise a child or somewhere close to that at least um but you know doing ivf it makes you pay the money up front if that makes sense, like it, it, it's like having a kid is, yeah, it's expensive in itself, but I, IVF like makes you pay upfront and it's not even a guarantee on top of that. Um, so I was really, I was really skeptic and, you know, not super excited about it cause I didn't know what it entailed. Um, like I said, this podcast was to answer a lot of questions about male infertility or the IVF procedure. I wish I knew so much more than what I did going into it um, because like, I, I just didn't know. I was very ignorant. I was like, okay, I'm going to go masturbate into a Petri dish and they're going to make magic happen. That's basically what I thought. I know that it's super ignorant and, you know, Girls, if you're listening to me, you have to go through so much more as a female um, for the IVF procedure. And, uh, yo, I salute every single one of you females that has to go through this because, you know, witnessing it, I my hats are off to you. There's so much more that the female has to go through. But as a male um, or as a man, I just wish I knew certain things as as far as like is there do how do i prepare for the ivf procedure how do i you know deal with certain things with my wife as far as the shots and the hormones and mood swings and all that stuff i just wish i knew a lot more um but that's besides the point right now i'll get into that maybe in episode two if you guys like this podcast um so 
this story will basically end uh, when I figured out that IVF was going to have to be a thing. Uh, so to end my story um, until episode two, this, this really ended with us realizing that we had to do IVF. And in the military, there's only very few military uh, facilities that can do IVF, um, like can just really do IVF or facilitate the process in, in whatever way. So my wife, you know, it was almost due, or it was almost time for me to transfer um, to another duty station. And currently I was in Groton, Connecticut, and it was time for me to change duty station. So my wife, I had to go, or sorry, so duty station to submarine. I had been on a submarine before, and it was time for me to go back to another submarine. And so I was looking at different places. I was like, all right, well, I'd already been in San Diego. There is a fertility clinic down in there that we could possibly go to. But then my wife, you know, she searched everywhere. And there happened to be a military clinic that could help uh, military members with IVF in Washington State. So... You know, she brings this up to me. We talk about it. I think it took maybe 10 minutes for her to decide that she wants to obviously be in a place that could facilitate our our male infertility needs. And Washington State was where we wanted to be. Um, So she was like, hey, this is where we can do this. Can you get there? Uh, Or can, can we possibly get there? So I called the detailer. And the detailer is, you know, obviously uh, I'm a cook. He he's he's also a submarine cook, and I was just like, hey, this is kind of what I'm going through. Is there any chance that I could get up to Washington? And you know, I hear you know computer clicks in the background, you know, for about thirty seconds, and he's just like, how quickly can you be ready to go to Washington? And at that moment, I was just like, how quickly do you need me there? And he's like, I need you to be in Washington by the end of the year. And I think at this time, it was like July or August even. And, you know, that's when I was just like, all right. Like, in my mind, when he said, all right, how quickly can you get there? Uh, It was like, okay, I need to be there. This this is it. This is the start of my journey. I'm going to Washington State. Um, so I get off the phone and I tell my wife, "Hey, uh, we can do this. This is this is what needs to happen." Um, so that's what really started. At, you know, up to this point, we had really only done um, reactive things to uh, male infertility. Uh, I had really only, you know, I'd done the procedure as far as, you know, a slight testicle remover for sonoma cancer, done the varicocele surgery and all that. Uh, all of all of the things we have done had been purely to uh, react to a situation that was already going on. Uh, nothing um, to, like, combat the situation going forward. And this was really that point. So I had made the decision. Uh, you know, I told the people that I needed to tell, got ready to go, and that was it. I was on my journey. You know, a couple, you know, a couple months later, I was in a car headed to Washington State, 
And uh, that's where I'm going to end this first episode. Um, guys or women or whoever is still listening, <laughs> uh, if you like my story, like I said, I'm going to leave a link down below uh, for you to contact me. I'll leave my email. If you want to get in touch with me, uh, maybe share your male infertility story or IVF procedure. I would love to hear about it. I think there's not enough uh, conversations happening between uh, men about what they're going through. And I would love to hear about it. If you want your story even read online, I would or read out loud online, either on YouTube or Facebook, wherever this gets posted, uh, I would love to do that. So, um, like I said, I'll post the link down below and everything and, uh, get ready for episode two. Uh, thanks guys. I appreciate everyone listening.